welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting firehose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week, we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful. And one of the uh, reviews we've gotten that we enjoyed was from RES0202, who says, enjoyable listen. Although I differ in opinion on some, not all of the topics they discuss, I love listening to these two intelligent ladies discuss politics, because even they, even though they approach each topic with a lot of research, and they are respectful to all opinions, even those that are different than their own, which I find refreshing. They've even opened my eyes to different things going on in the political world, and even change my perspective for the better. Keep up the awesome work. So that's Thanks. nice. We like that. And uh, if you're, yeah, if you're enjoying us, you can write us one of those. You can tell your friends about us, subscribe to us on the interwebs. And just, you know, feel free to sign to our DMs if you've got something to say. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. We always, positive reviews brighten our day, week. They month. do. <laughs> Don't we all need a little bit of brightness? Yeah, exactly. And hey, if you are hate listening to us, those reviews also just help bolster us anyway. They're uh, your negativity fuels us. <laughs> feels, but like, don't really. don't run with that too much. Like, yeah, <laughs> we both hate criticism, actually. So yeah, <laughs> um, so just send us an email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh Love it. man. Well, we're recording this um, slightly early, a little earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, In the so- past. In the past, if there's anything, any breaking news from basically Friday onwards, um, we'll, we won't be addressing. Um, so, because Miss Erin's going on a much-deserved vacation. I am leaving. I am <laughs> flying away. I am excited. I haven't gone any, obviously I haven't gone on a plane since before the pandemic hit. Haven't seen my nieces and nephews since before then, um, so I'm going to go to Connecticut and visit the fam, and then go to New York and just eat everything I can find and frolic around. That sounds delightful. It's going to be it's great. The plan. It's the plan. Just have yeah. to get through the red eye, and uh, we'll see how that goes. And the trains, which again, yeah. devil on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. I know Good she's like, because we're going to take, uh, we're doing a red eye, and then we're going to take the subway to Penn Station from Penn Station to the train station in Connecticut. And, you know, Maria's like, you can take a cab to Penn Station, which might happen. Yeah. Because um, my will to to not do that is is fading quickly and I'm not coming off of a flight right now. So it's possible. We'll see. Stay tuned. We'll follow up. Stay tuned. I'm very interested. I also feel like, and it's been a minute since I have taken the subway, but I feel like there's some sort of annoying transfer at some point where you just I can't remember specifically where it is I feel like it's in Queens and um it's one thing if it's like a completely direct like get yourself a seat and then like Mm -hmm. allow the subway to take you to Penn Station but like the transfer just makes it's that extra stop just makes me not want to I hear you I feel you we will uh we'll see what happens (laughs) (laughs) Um, another thing we wanted to just briefly mention, because it's funny, it could be wrapped up into like a good thing, but instead I'd rather criticize it a little on brand. But, um, so yesterday, which would, which was Wednesday, um, the Senate unanimously passed a bill establishing Juneteenth as a national holiday. Um, so the bill is going to head to the house where it will likely, uh, be passed. And then Biden is very likely to sign it so that Juneteenth will be a national holiday. Which is good. We love this. Which is good. Thank you. <laughs> recently I've been Slide finding, <laughs> I completely, no, that's important because recently I've been saying things, including we see you's that have like an unclear conclusion. Like my mom just sidebar was really happy that you added to the natural wine we see you. And so you won't be going there anymore. Cause I was like, obvious, thought it was obvious mm-hmm. and it was helpful that you were like, you just came in at the She's end and, said, like, and so you're, it's good that you're not going to be going there. It's like, yes, oops, I should And say I'm that. still going to go because I need my wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too bad he's a racist, you know? <laughs> I need my natural wine. <laughs> I need it. Walking distance. Mm. Um, anyway, yes, so that part, absolutely a good thing. But as um, 
Reverend uh, Dr. Jackie Lewis pointed out um, on Twitter pretty succinctly, 100 votes to celebrate Black freedom, but can't muster 50 votes votes for Black voting rights. Keep your symbols. We need liberation. Um, just it's very frustrating to see this type of um, sort of performative act by the Senate, where, by the way, it was unanimous. I mean, even like, I, I don't know where Josh Hawley was or, you know, or something, but and Ted Cruz, but it was unanimous. If there's a unanimous need or, or a unanimous desire to celebrate Juneteenth, and I, I might add a, a, a holiday um, that was never um, emphasized or even taught in history up until probably very, very recently. Um, one would think that you could extend your like you could extend logic to um, realize that there's a need for uh, rethinking the way we teach U.S. history, a need for um, enshrining voting rights into uh, into some robust, robust protections for um, everyone to be able to vote. And, um, you know, you could you could go even further, even further and, you know, say again, like, let's figure out how we can um, reshape police forces and all like just so much so many other things. Um, so we need to go so much further than Juneteenth. But like, it's a good thing, but with like caveats. Yeah, exactly. Like it's some, these things do matter. These recognitions, but like what, like you said, yeah, they're they're doing this, and then voting rights and systemic racism and critical race theory and all these things. Um, mm-hmm. Could work on those too. It's like when companies for Pride have you know Pride flags and rainbows and shit, but then you look at their actual policies and they're not LGBTQ friendly. It's like, yes, the, I think like public brand support for LGBTQ rights is important. And I think it is good to be like visibly an ally, but like, you're not really an ally if behind the scenes, you're not supporting it too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do better. Do better. Yeah. I also like, we can, it's, I saw this again, like the statement, when you know better, do better. It's sort of like, so for people that I think, I think there's a lot of people who feel a little bit intimidated by the whole conversation. Um, and that's understandable. There's a lot of like heated, heated rhetoric on Twitter, people out in the streets, every, but it's because this is so important and people, this is life or death. People really care about this. Um, but if you're in the knowing better stage, like the early stages of knowing better, that's okay. That's like, that's just the reality of where you're at. And just learn, just like quietly do your own research um, and, and work to figure out what Juneteenth is or why people might say defund the police. And then, by the way, you might you might want to read that there's a lot of people who say, hey, we understand defund the police as a phrase is like not actually helpful to the whole cause. So, you know, just broadly read, learn you know, understand when you know, and then when you know better, do better. So, yeah. Do better. Yeah. <laughs> In conclusion. In conclusion. Yeah. We all, and we all need to, we all need to do better. So fun. Fun. All right. Kevin can F himself. Woo-woo. Um, woo, woo, woo. We've been looking forward to the show coming out uh, with Annie Murphy, who a lot of people know as Alexis from Shit's Creek. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, from the previews, we were excited because it, you know, it, it showed you the premise, which is kind of taking those, those sitcoms like King of Queens and the ones where it's just like, I'm a bumbling idiot husband with my hot wife who's responsible. That's annoying, right? <laughs> Sports. Um, and taking that and going and looking at her actual perspective, um, and it can be quite dark, uh, which is understandable. And it, so, like, the show starts out, like, classic sitcom, the lighting, and the, like, yuck, 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 yuck. And the, like, deprecating jokes again, you know, at the wife's expense. Um, but then when it's, like, when it when he leaves the room and it goes to just her, like, the lighting shifts from the cheery sitcom to the the drama. Um, and it's, like, all the things that, that he the husband does that you know get like laughs on the laugh track that are very similar like could have been taken out of one of those shows um they're all actually like horrible horrible things to say and do to a person (laughs) and so I'm glad that there's a show that's like challenging that you know it's like he's actively like ruining her life (laughs) for like 
every day for like 10 years and it's like ha 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 <laughs> um so funny and it's like god like why I, I wonder how much these sitcoms well, not this actual show but like the sitcoms are responsible for just like this the subset of men you know we're just like we're silly guys you know we just shirk our responsibilities and live our lives selfishly and women are buzzkills and yeah 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 we're the center of the world Mm-hmm. it's such a vibe it's like and I've enjoyed um, some Judd Apatow movies don't get me wrong but it's like the similar kind of thing where it's like slacker guy with like uptight woman it's like is she uptight or does someone need to be like doing something around here <laughs> anything around here um yeah yes. I, have, I have more thoughts but I'll I'll let I'll let you speak <laughs> um I I really enjoyed this. It made me think of a couple of other things too, which was like, I, I I kind of had completely forgotten about this, but when I was younger and first started watching sitcoms, maybe like whatever my parents would allow me to watch. So I'm sure it was like Sabrina, the teenage witch or, you know, yeah, it was sort of that level of, of like sitcom. Um, but my mom would say sometimes, because you, you, you're getting your signals on how to behave from from sitcoms. And this was like probably the peak, like, and 10 things, um, eight ways to date my teenage daughter or something else, rules for, you know, there were some of those that I would, I would sometimes wangle my way into watching. And um, my mom would say repeatedly, because I would pick up the sarcasm and want to emulate it. And she'd be like, we're not in a sitcom, you know, you basically, which mean, meaning like, you can't just act like a little asshole. Like basically, I think, I think is, uh, you know, there's no audience like sniggering at you being a jerk to your mom or your brother or like looking to camera and being like, (laughs) you know? Um, so, and, and it is, I guess, and this show kind of made me think about how many shows, like just how prevalent this trope, like you say of, of men specifically being really shitty to their wives or moms or like, you know, sisters, there's a lot of um, just baked in misogyny in this like multi-camera um, 90s and 2000s, uh, super brightly lit uh, sitcom. Um, I also thought there's a really interesting thing about class going on too. Like with this, I loved, I loved that, the sitcom was sort of representative of like, you're fine. Everything is like completely fine. You don't, if you want better, you're kind of snobby or elitist or like unreasonable and a buzzkill. Um, and the dark single camera gritty, um, portrait of the wife was like, no, you, you know, unfulfilled dreams, totally, um, you know, an, an unfulfilled life with a, with a, a husband who doesn't really see her or appreciate her or, um, want to be in dialogue with her at all. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and she has this, uh, I mean, I guess there'll be some mild spoilers when we watch the first two episodes, cause that's all we could get our little grabby paws on <laughs> so far. <laughs> but like, she has the epiphany, um, <laughs> when she's on a, a substance, but she has the epiphany, like, I blamed myself for like all of these things about myself and my life that I don't have. And Kevin and the husband like encouraged that basically. And I wasn't like, maybe I wasn't actually responsible for all this shit. He, he took these things away from me. You know, it's like he said she couldn't finish things and that's why she didn't finish school and said she was a bad driver. And that's why he always takes the car. But like, she's like, I've never been in an accident, you know? Mm-hmm. and all these things and has this epiphany of like oh my god the last 10 years of my life I've bought into this story that like you know that these are the things that are wrong with me and this is why my life is this way but like it's fucking Kevin it's fucking <laughs> Kevin and it's like pretty and it's like even like the storylines that are like kind of heartbreaking art you could see them being on like one of the sitcoms and like funny mm-hmm. you know because there's a laugh track and we think it's funny like the um the anniversary party oh my god oniversary rager 
So apparently Kevin, every year for their anniversary, loves to have an anniversary-rager, which is a rager on their anniversary. And she's like, can we just have like a grown-up dinner? You know, like, can we just like do that? And then they have the anniversary-rager. And like, first he leaves her with alone with his boss and then like completely alone. And she's like drinking wine by herself in the tub. Um, and at this point he had like kind of agreed to put down a down payment on a new house in an eight, like a neighborhood she wanted to move to. And she's like, goes to these fantasies of being there and like what that would be like and like handing a beer to him and they're happy. And they're in this like nice, bright, lovely new home without cockroaches and stuff. And this is kind of her go-to fantasy. And she's so invested in moving because it represents like a new start for her. It represents like the end of all of this. It just represents so much. And he's like, oh, we have an announcement about a big move. And she's like, oh, thank God. And then like he says, we're staying here because he's accepting like a a position transfer, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he breaks like the coffee table that was like her prized possession. And then she finds out like he... um, like they don't even have the savings she thought that they did because he was like spending it on sports memorabilia. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, it's it's heartbreaking. But you'd see like on one of those sitcoms be like, oh, I spent that money. We're staying here. <laughs> End of episode. Um, but it's like devastating. And it's like these. Yeah, like those those shows where it was just like the punchline. These like actually heartbreaking things that would be horrible for this um for anyone married to this fucking guy mm-hmm. and then obviously and then her fantasy changes to wanting to kill him um which i find v not relatable in my life i don't want to <laughs> kill my husband he's not kevin at all but i could but i i find that so much more believable than the sitcoms where they're just like all right <laughs> yes this is what we're doing here's here's how we do it now um, and his apology for his like anniversary rager was like okay we can do the fancy dinner for breakfast and you have to cook and i can have a beer right like it's just like yeah so so gross he's just such a fucking he's such a man child and just like so entitled and you know he's always like what allison wants allison gets which is her name but it's not true right and he just says it and it's just he's such a shit i hope that she kills him (laughs) i do hope that she kills him i think like or, like, I'm very interested in where this is going to go. Um, mm-hmm. I also really wanted her. Now there have been three men in the show, and it's all, there's only been two episodes. But I really just wanted her to, like, fuck each one of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and actually, I was kind of surprised, but I found myself really wanting her to fuck the guy who was the car mechanic. Because mm-hmm. I was just like, that is kind of like, that would be like the gr- kind of gritty and sad and like kind of exactly what I would expect her to almost just do, especially mm-hmm. when she was on a, that substance, having those epiphanies. Um, you know, I kind of appreciated that he was really just such a passive part of the background in that moment. And same with like the two friends, like nothing, it felt like she was almost in danger, but of course um, it's really more of like uh it just was more of, it, it was so much more about her, but I, I sensed like, oh, maybe she's in danger. Maybe like this is, you know, it was really just like, no, this is her having another, another moment. Um, another layer of this that makes it really um, not relatable, but just so familiar in terms of a, a setting is it was, it takes place in Boston or like in Worcester, Massachusetts, um, not even Boston, Worcester. Um, like I'm from Massachusetts originally. Um, and all of the fixations on the sports teams, um, and this whole, the whole second episode revolves around, um, a, like Bill Belichick, um, a cutoff, uh, like his famous cutoff, uh, sweatshirt. Um, and it was like one that he'd worn maybe like once. Um, and just how, uh, how ridiculous that um, you know when when men let let the their their love of sports kind of guide be their guiding principle in absolutely all things, um, you know I just found it um, I found that layer kind of like I'm glad that they have that because it always seems like whatever sitcom sitcoms and other shows like there's always some not always but there's frequently a strain of like wherever it takes place, there's like those sports teams really matter. And there's like 
jokes, like a lot of jokes that, that center on like the Cubs or, you know, the Yankees or whatever. Um, and so, and kind of like coupled with that, there was, um, they have this accent that I am a little critical of. It's one of my one points of criticism would be that it was really tough at the beginning just to like, I was sort of like, we're going, we're going with this accent. Like this is, this is the best we could do for a sort of like blue collar Massachusetts um, kind of Boston accent. Um, don't think they quite stuck that landing. Um, I don't think any of them have one that sounded like authentic to me, but that doesn't really, it's once you kind of just get past that and it's really easy to do because it's so well done. It's not, um, it's not distracting. I'd say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was wondering what your thoughts would be as a, Boston suburbanite. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, the Tom Brady like lookalike tryouts and like. Oh my god, the it, friend, the friend mm-hmm. I thought was good too because what? Patty. You... Yes, I guess or no? Oh no, oh, the, the dude, man, Neil? the dude. I think I don't Neil. Know, I might be wrong. I mean, you're probably right. Uh, that sounds right. <laughs> Bless, Bless you. me. Oh my gosh, I'm allergic <laughs> to Neil. You're. I aren't we all? <laughs> God, we all fucked in Neil. Ew. Neil was, I, I'm so glad he, that they, he is, how many Neils are there? Now I want like, I want to read a dissertation from someone who's doing like media studies on how many Neils there are in like between 1990 and like 2014. How many Neils are there in different shows? And what, why, why is this like portrait of ignorant mediocrity um, kind of yes manning the like main guy Kevin um, you know how many people like that actually have been ha- have we spent time like looking at chuckling at indulging yeah Neil um, he's just yeah he's just like the beta to, <laughs> <laughs> to Kevin and it is yeah it is such a trope it's such a thing and I don't know. It's like, it's all part of this like dude fantasy, I guess. Of, I don't know. It's very, it's very strange. Um, and yeah, I did. I, so Patty is Neil's sister, I think the neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's an interesting, she's an interesting character. She kind of like goes along with, with the dude, like she's like kind of like, Oh, I'm like this edgy character, but she also just kind of goes along with the dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know like she at one point like pretends not to be into oatmeal raisin cookies because the guys aren't but she actually likes them and allison's like you know you're pretending to be one of the like why are you pretending to be one of the guys and not liking things that you like and whatever um and patty's just kind of um not well, kind of dismissive of uh allison's like desire to like find something else and pursue something else and she's just like patty says like pretending things will change is how they sell washing machines you know, it's like she's very like, I've, this is it, this is life, this is how it goes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she was saying that she felt bad for Allison and Allison was saying she feels bad for her. Um, because it, it does feel like it's like either people in those situations either accept it and they're like, this is just how shit is. Or they like desperately want to get out and like fantasize about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we find out something interesting about Patty at the end of the second episode. Mm-hmm. Um and I was like, oh, I want to see what happens next. Ah, yeah. Cliffhanger. Um, but I'm I'm curious and excited to see where they go with Patty because I feel like there are opportunities there to, you know, really, really build that character and her relationship with Allison. And, you know, curious, curious what happens there. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, I really like, yeah, I really like that character. I um, also like that in the cause we're like moving from the sitcom into this um, like grittier reality, Allison's reality um, constantly between the two. It, that's just the way this, sh- this show is set up, which is so great. But Kevin himself and his, and Neil and his like dad or whoever, the three, like those men don't enter into the world, Allison's world, Allison's reality. Um, only Patty does at this point. I'll be interested. I would like to see, I would really, I was really hoping that like 
Neil would like be in it or something like because mm-hmm. he would be disgusting. Like his his character as like in Allison's real world would just be one of those fucking people that you're like he would be like one of the drug dealers on Breaking Bad or something. I just was like he's repulsive and not a single bit of what of of who he stands for or what he's saying is funny. Like I would so I was just kind of like hoping that um the others maybe not Kevin himself but like. Mm-hmm the others would, would make an appearance. So I kind of hope that right now we've only seen Patty in this world. And I love the way they, I just love the way she, they made her fit in the sitcom universe that like brightly lit, like mm-hmm. sidekick. She was always like making the quip of like, quick, I think she got it. Like good one, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. It was like, okay, perfect. And then, but then she fit equally well, um, obviously, if not, much better um sitting on her stoop next door to Allison um scoffing seeming kind of a defeated a defeated character who's just accepted that her life is like always going to be sad um yeah yeah I'm curious who like if other people will be like brought into that like more grittier grittier vibe and like how that'll how that'll be going forward you know yeah. It's like, will Kevin ever enter that? And what was what would that be like? Is that the season finale? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And Kevin's just an awful person. Like also. Like I wrote <laughs> down a lot of like the things that he said and, and did that were just like the awful. Like one of the jokes that made me particularly hmm, angry was when <laughs> she's her like hand is bleeding. And he's like, it doesn't mean you get to be moody. You already used that excuse once this month. Like, <laughs> And he also, we learned that he, because he had a grudge against a mail carrier, he got her deported. Yes. And I'm just like, that is evil. Because um, that's another thing on these sitcoms. It's like, the men have these grudges and they're funny and they do wild antics. But it's like, oh my, you are just, and he has this fucking little like Kevin V the world um tally where it's like i forget the exact numbers but it's like kevin 632 world three like he's winning and it's like and they mentioned that he doesn't want kids because it's like basically he wants to be the center of the world you know um mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with not wanting kids for sure but like it's just another thing about like his rationale for it it's just like oh my god he's such a selfish buffoon oh and yeah his comment on that too was like I refuse to not be the cutest thing in, in the world or the cutest thing in this home. Yeah, and then like, we're supposed mm, to be like, oh, oh, I know. Oh. No, he's just, it's, he's disgusting. He's, he's awful. And he's been on all these shows are awful. And then it's just like, yeah, like you said, like you, you know, you tried on like being a sarcastic batch to your mother. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I'm sure that like, there are plenty of like boys slash men who part of their like awful personalities are informed by these kinds of shows and so i'm so glad that there is now this show which like kind of puts it on its ass and it's like look at the actual things that this person is saying and doing and how it would actually impact this other person yeah you know it's like yeah the brightly lit sitcom she's just like all right she's got the laundry and like oh please use a coaster and like "Eh." but then you know the reality of it yeah much darker much darker also like this sort of yeah, the reality of like how sad. I mean, I I remember thinking about this at a certain point with I don't even remember which sitcom, and it could have even been like Friends, but it was something where it's like, okay, if you're if we're to take the conceit that these people are blue collar, like she works at a liquor store, he works um, installing fiber optic cables or something, um, or actually I think that was his promotion, fiber optics, mm-hmm. um, like so they can't really afford certain things. And then like her pottery barn table breaks because he's standing on it like a child, you know, it's sort of devastating. Like, and, but you, but, but thinking back to sitcoms where there are those types of incidents and it's like hilarious, um, Mm -hmm. makes me just kind of generally sad. And I think that this show broadly fits into, and it, where there's a lot of like nineties nostalgia stuff that's, that, that has been going on for a long time, but a lot of critiques of nineties and early two thousands, like we've seen with the Britney documentary and there've been like a few other things where we kind of look into, okay, 
what what exactly were the was the messaging that we all were growing up with and being kind mm-hmm. of inculcated with. Um, and I love that this is just yet another piece of um, incisive art, basically, um, to kind of add to the conversation about truly how how fucked up that sitcom era was in a lot of ways um, and kind of to unravel some of the learnings that I think we, um, a lot of people just would, I, I think we subconsciously picked up as like, okay. And even comfort viewing, like even it's even like a comfort viewing category. I think for a lot of people, this like, you know, these brightly lit sitcoms. Yeah. And it's like, when you peel it back and peel back the laugh track, it's like, what's the joke? Mm-hmm. What are we laughing at, and why are we laughing at it? Um, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. We definitely. Uh, well, I don't want to speak for the for the group, <laughs> but I definitely recommend. I'm looking forward to um to the other episodes to see what happens in this world. Me too. I can't wait to um. I I I'd imagine maybe we maybe we can talk once the whole thing is out because I I'd like that mm-hmm. um, I'd like that too I'd like that <laughs> we like that oh, all right well any last comments on uh, Kevin can f himself um I don't know chicks are buzzkills I guess <laughs> <laughs> women are bad oh god. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. One last thing as I'm just thinking, I just wanted to put one more exclamation point at the thought at at like the concept of I'm so, I'm so, I'm so glad there's a story where the title is Kevin can F himself. And we, we see the world with Kevin and then the world becomes so much more, so much richer, but more believable and interesting when Kevin and all of his ilk are completely removed from the space. Mm-hmm. Here, here. Yeah. What would happen if that had happened earlier in different entertainment? Anyway. <laughs> who knows? Who, who knows? knows? Well, and now for We See You. All right. So there was cell phone video that went uh, viral, as they say, um, of a bouncer at a sports bar called Nelly's, um, where a bouncer is shown pulling a black woman down a staircase head first um, on a Saturday night. Her name's Keisha Young. Um, she said it shouldn't have ever happened, um, that it's never okay to <laughs> handle a person or a woman that way, obviously, um, and that she she thought that he, that the bouncer like mistook her for someone else basically. Um, Cause she, according to her and everyone, like she wasn't doing anything oh. wrong. She was just there celebrating pride. Oh. And, um, and even if she was like, she wasn't, but even in a situation where somebody like a woman or anybody was like doing something to get kicked out of a bar, you don't drag them by the head um, down a staircase, you know, no. just, uh, not 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 the way to not the way to go. No. So the bar uh, Nellie's did apologize and they did fire um did fire the security guard and the bar is closed for a week. Um hopefully they'll better vet their security guards cuz it's like I feel like if uh if you if a security guard is doing that it's probably not the first time they've <laughs> abused their power. Um no. You know, hopefully it's the last, but this is like toxic, toxic, you know, I have the power. I can treat people how I want to just no. So and the racism and the sexism inherent in what he was doing, just we see you. And I am glad that he is fired. I hope he doesn't get rehired somewhere else. Right. We see you. And also, like, just imagine. And I think that this would like. I hope that this woman gets damages. You know, I hope she sues them. Like, mm-hmm. and I just wonder, like, on the from the race aspect, like, if that was a white woman that was dragged down the stairs and treated in, in that that way, wouldn't we all be like? I mean, wouldn't there just be? I mean, the video would be everywhere, and people would be like, <gasps> like, you know, you. I think 
a lot of white women would, would feel emboldened to be like, I'm suing mm-hmm. the shit out of you for emotional damages, humiliation, yeah. like physical damages. Oh my God. If someone was getting in the way of like white girl wasted rosé all day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I hope that this woman sues them and can, you know, yeah, get some renum- remuneration for that behavior. It's fucked up. Yeah. It's like, and I'm sure like there will be lasting impacts for her. If that happened to me, I would, I don't think I'd just be over it the next day, you know, it's a little, no. a little traumatic, a little traumatic, I'd say. No. And I would want the bar to like permanently close, not to, yeah. not to be such a grudgy beach, but like, I don't want that to exist if that's what's happening, you know? Yeah. Well, apparently they fired the whole security company that they use. Okay. So okay. Good. that's something, but it's, yeah, it's like, how did, how did this happen? Have- and also the fact it was during pride, like I wonder if that's a layer too. It's just all around uh, yeah. fuckery. Fuckery. All right. Well, um, my first we see you is uh, to a uh, GOP candidate in Florida. I know we're all surprised. What? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So William Braddock, um, in a secret recording that uh, Politico obtained, um, this Florida Republican threatened to send Russian-Ukrainian hit squads after uh, his rival and another woman running for this GOP seat. So it's another Republican. Um, And he said, quote, I really don't want to have to end anybody's life for the good of the people of the United States of America. But if it needs to be done, it needs to be done. Um, So that doesn't really sound like a joke to me. Not that it's ever funny to be like threatening hit squads against rivals politically. But that just seems like a that seems like someone who is like internally or actually externally justifying um, actually arranging a hit a hit squad um which and they're just layers like russian ukrainian uh, makes me super nervous we're trying to we're trying to get russians out of our politics and um the connections between the gop and russia and ukraine are already pretty troubling considering that they're supposed to be like the party of patriotism and murka etc etc um but yeah so threatening to make his opponent quote disappear um, uh, is a huge problem. The other candidate is Anna Paulina Luna. Um, she's from the Tampa Bay area. Um, and, um, it's being vacated by, uh, Charlie Crist, uh, who is running for governor. Um, and yeah, I don't, um, I don't have much to say about this aside from just calling it out um pretty pretty unacceptable and i believe um the uh the other candidate has filed a petition for um a temporary restraining order um but yeah this is fucked up let's let's like florida my goodness, Florida. I mean, there are many, many troubling things happening all the time um, over there in, in the political, the political world of Florida seems kind of swampy. Um, it's not just the, uh, not just the geographic environment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, let's pay attention to Florida. I hope that there's um, some consequences for this type of violent threat um, and really hope he doesn't get elected. So uh, we see you, William Braddock. We see you. Uh, this yeah, this one broke my little heart. So Morgan Arnold, um, she has cheered her whole life. She's currently a cheerleader on Shoreline Junior High School's team. She's the only cheerleader on the team who has Down syndrome, and she's the only cheerleader on the team excluded from the school's yearbook photo. Um, apparently, she when she got her yearbook, she was just absolutely crushed. Like she's been cheering her whole life. It's her favorite thing. The team loves her. Like she's great. Every it's a whole thing and then to see like her name and her photo excluded from the team photo just and she's the only player on the team or player only person on the team with down syndrome it just doesn't seem like uh, an accident um and the school um which is in layton which is near uh, salt lake city they posted a public apology to morgan and her family um for the error but, but it's just like, uh, why did like who someone made? I mean, it was a mistake for sure, but it it didn't feel like an accident. You know, it's like, how do you just completely exclude someone who was in the team photo from that photo 
and exclude her name. Um, I don't know. Uh, but her father said that instead of pointing blame at the school, which I guess is what I'm doing, uh, he wanted to use the situation to raise awareness about the importance of thoughtful inclusion and compassion. Um, so while I am pointing blame at the school, I'm also saying what he said. So <laughs> there you go. Um, because it is important for people to really think inclusively about other human beings, um, even if they're differently abled than they are. Mm. Um, and her dad went on to say, if we can find ways so that this doesn't happen to somebody else, that's all that we want. That's all that matters because we can't go back and put her in the yearbook. Um, going forward, her mother said she would love to see students with developmental disabilities have more opportunities to get involved with their classmates. Um, and that just because someone's different doesn't mean that their value is different. Um, and apparently Morgan, the cheerleader, she's already forgiven everybody for it. Um, but it's just really, really sad that she just is going to have that yearbook that shows her doing like one of her, her favorite things. And, you know, she's a treasured part of the team. All her teammates love her. And it's just a, a glaring oversight, to put it lightly, that they did not include her in the yearbook. Oh, so, awful. yeah. So we see you to Shoreline Junior High School. And hopefully, like, uh, Morgan's dad is hoping that this this just won't happen again and that they'll be more thoughtful in the future. Ugh, we see you. That's really awful. Ugh, okay. Um, yes, okay. So it turns out that 10 out of 11 doctors that are um, overseeing health care for prisoners in the Louisiana Department of Corrections have a restricted medical license. Um, and that leads to people in Louisiana that are in prison or incarcerated, um, dying deaths, um, basically because they're just in the care of people who are, um, not good physicians. Um, there are now multiple lawsuits that are filed against the Louisiana, Louisiana Department of Public Safety and Corrections. Um, but, uh, the BuzzFeed did this whole report recently, um, that I only became aware of because I was listening to Pod Save the People, um, where uh, there's in Louisiana specifically, but this this is um, a problem in a lot of places, but definitely concentrated in the South. Um, medical care falls overwhelmingly in the hands of doctors whose licenses were were formally uh, suspended, and then um, after generally after um, a suspension, a doctor's medical license. Um, there's, there's limitations on how they can practice medicine. Um, and it seems like one place where they can find, um, pretty easy employment is, is prisons, the prison system, because no one wants to work there and there's like much less oversight, um, and, and care for the lives of those patients. Um, there are 35, 4,000 people that are currently incarcerated in Louisiana, um, that are put at risk by uh, employing doctors who have um, suspended or formally suspended um, and re- medical licenses and have restrictions on whether these restrictions sometimes include like administering pain management and prescription writing. Um, so if you have patients coming in to a doctor saying that they're in pain for some reason, and the doctor actually is not legally able to prescribe um any type of medication that seems like a glaring um, injustice and a huge problem. Um, it also leads to people dying unnecessarily because their pain and their um, their treatment isn't taking isn't being dealt with by a competent physician. Um, it's uh, doctor. The history of some of these doctors in Louisiana are pretty diverse in terms of what why they were. Um, why their licenses had been suspended. Um, but, but some of the histories include sexually assaulting patients, writing under the table, narcotic prescriptions, possessing child pornography and drinking on duty. Um, and so this practice in Louisiana and in, in much of the South and, and throughout other places, uh, it's widespread to hire physicians that have, um, intense, uh, disciplinary histories to, um, keep prisons staffed. Um, and unfortunately, like part of the reason that they're able to get jobs there is because there's a social stigma surrounding working for a prison. And also we pay people who work at prisons, um, extremely low pay. So they're super susceptible to, um, bribes and, um, they're just not, um, 
not the best physicians that we could get for people who are incarcerated, who probably need, um, I would say the chances are like, that population probably higher than the general population needs like more regular attention physically and mentally um, on a regular basis. Uh, So yeah, it's pretty disturbing to me that 10 out of 11 doctors on staff at the Louisiana Department of Public Safety and Correction have a previous disciplinary action on their record. Um, And of the 10 physicians in the Department of Corrections with restricted licenses, seven are medical directors of state facilities. Um, and this is, again, there's a widespread issue. I'm pretty sure we've discussed in the past that the doctor who, um, performed, uh, hysterectomies on ICE detainees, like was just permitted to do that without, um, consenting them to these hysterectomies. And there were lots of, um, built in justifications for why that doctor was allowed to continue to do what she was doing, which is traumatic and unethical. And again, I, I, I hope that, there's the, the damp, you know, people are suing for damages, but again, when it's the most vulnerable people in the population who, um, aren't citizens of the country and are already at the hands of so many different social services, uh, I worry that there's just such rampant abuse. Um, and again, a lot of these states in the South have GOP legislatures, they're protecting their budget rather than people. Um, and, uh, it concerns me that doesn't seem like there's going to be reform in this area um, anytime soon. So for the, we see you to the Louisiana Department of Public Safety and Corrections. We see you. That is, that is awful. The way that we treat our, our prison populations as disposable. Yeah. You know, it's not uh, so awful. Okay. So in jest, especially when you can, anyway, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we see you. <laughs> Um, hopping over to Brazil. Uh, so there was, um, they ran out of oxygen for a period of time and Brazil's government was warned a week before, uh, they ran out that they would run out of oxygen due to the sudden, uh, the sudden spike in critical uh, cases because of the gamma variant, which is, um, in Washington state, actually, like they look at the variants and see which ones are associated with more hospitalizations and more deaths and that is the uh the brazil variant is the only one that has a significant increase um anyway so despite the warning the uh, bunsen and ministry of health did not do anything about securing oxygen in time um they didn't do any lockdowns to limit the spread they didn't do anything that would be helpful <laughs> from a scientific or human point of view they Bonsignor did a very Trump thing and instead they launched this campaign um, advertising this uh, drug cocktail um, unproven some of the elements of the uh, drug cocktail actually have been shown not to work or help Um, so instead of actually helping the situation or doing lockdowns or anything like that they are just advertising this um cocktail of unproven drugs and they've been doing this since uh mid 2020 again hasn't worked doesn't work they use discredited experiments um, or skewed experiments just like faulty data and science to say that it does work um and their work like i said there were conclusive clinical trials last year that showed this does not work um and there are side effects um to these to these drugs, negative side effects. In fact, so they're not even just harmless; they they don't work and they can cause harm. Um, and Brazil is second only to the U.S. in terms of deaths from COVID. We hit six hundred thousand recently. There are over four hundred eighty-eight thousand. Um, so Bolsonaro is just he is so he reminds me so much of Trump, um, and I feel so awful for the people of Brazil because it looks like I just look over there and it feels like what would be happening here if we didn't have a change in leadership, um, just completely, completely recklessly leading and promoting things that harm people instead of help people. And they're, you know, I just don't see how there is an end in sight for them. And, um, it's tragic and completely fucking preventable. Like if they just had competent leadership, so many people wouldn't have had to die. Um, so we see you to Bonsignero for, for, for like killing his people, basically. 
Oh, we see you. He seems like such a bad. I mean, he's He's Brazilian Trump. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's so bad. I remember John Oliver doing like a piece on Bolsonaro before he actually was elected being like, we really like, we really need to hope they don't elect him. And I was like, Oh, they elected him. Well, they did. (laughs) 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 Um, Okay, so my We See You actually has like a relatively late breaking update, but it's um, it's to Rita Moreno, um, who is an actress um, who won an Oscar uh, a lot like in 1965 for her portrayal of Anita in West Side Story. Um, this kind of controversy, musical theater uh, meets racism meets like, you know, yeah, lots of, there's like a nexus of, of things here. Um, so she, Rita Moreno made a statement um, on the late show with Stephen Colbert on Tuesday, last Tuesday, um, basically fiercely defending um, Lin-Manuel Miranda and In the Heights um, over criticism that they did not cast any dark-skinned Afro-Latinos in its leading roles. And I think I think broadly, there's also more criticism that they just the darker skinned Afro Latinos who are a huge part of, of the Washington Heights um, population historically and currently um, just weren't really included in the ensemble too. So there's just like was broadly colorism um, at play, even if it was subconscious or unconscious, but on the part of the creators, the director, John Chu, who did crazy rich Asians, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who, um, you know, is the creator of in the Heights and in Hamilton Um, so, and Rita Moreno, basically like Stephen Colbert didn't ask her about this. She's, she was commenting, she has a new documentary coming out. Um, and she's kind of like, a she's like a Hollywood Broadway legend. Um, and, uh, she didn't have to comment on this, but instead she did. Um, and, and so she, she said, can I just address the controversy and in the Heights? And, you know, Stephen Colbert had a little, like, I felt that he had a little bit of an awkward look where it was like, Oh God, like, do we have to, and what are you going to say? Um, so she said, I'm simply saying, so she, she sort of started and it was like unclear exactly what her criticism was or what her comment was. And, um, Stephen Colbert tried to sort of contextualize and make, make her comments seem, he he tried to like put words in her mouth that were, um, I I think like more flattering to her. And then she said, well, I'm simply saying, can't you just wait a while and leave it alone? There's a lot of people who are Puerto Ricanos who are also from Guatemala and who are, who are dark skinned, but also who are fair. We are all colors in Puerto Rico and this is how it is. And it would just be so nice if they hadn't come up with that and just left it alone for now. I mean, they're really attacking the wrong person. Um, so it was just a cringy statement, especially considering that Lin-Manuel Miranda, um, addressed these critiques of colorism in what I thought was a really thoughtful way. Um, he was taught, he, he released a relatively long, um, apology, um, for failing short and trying to quote, paint a mosaic of this community. Um, he, uh, he acknowledged that there was hurt and frustration. He said um, he felt sorry that he was um, contributing to some people feeling still unseen. Um, He said, I started writing in the Heights because I didn't feel seen. Um, And over the past 20 years, all I wanted was for, for us, all of us to feel seen. Um, I hear that without sufficient dark skinned Afro Latino representation, the work feels extractive of the community we wanted so much to represent with pride and joy. Um, so, uh, you know, he said, I'm trying to hold space for the incredible pride in the movie we made and, and, and be accountable for our shortcomings. Thanks for your honest feedback. I promise to do better. Um, and, you know, and so it was just like a good apology where I'm sure, I mean, I kind of felt in his apology that he, I mean, in the Heights was his, his initial breakout creative project. And, um, I'm, I feel the pain that he feels at feeling like he fell short in, in this movie, um, in, especially in something as important and, and that he has championed as, as representation. Um, and I under, I also understand, but I think Rita Moreno went about it all the wrong way. Um, I heard a different, um, podcaster who was speaking like she is, um, you know, from the Latinx community. And she basically said, 
look, the criticism is completely fair and valid. And I also feel like it's frustrating because if there was more broadly, if there was more Latinx representation in Hollywood and in musicals, um, this musical specifically wouldn't have to be everything to everyone. But it is totally fair that if you're making a musical called In the Heights and there's not a whole lot of other stuff about Washington Heights, um, in terms of content for people to enjoy that this is a very fair criticism that there was, there was, unfortunately there was colorism in the casting and um, it could have been subtle, but it's, it doesn't make it less real. And it doesn't make the experience of Afro Latinos who feel like they were absolutely like um, just ignored in this project and, 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 and in the reality of something called in the Heights. Um, so it's, it's a real criticism. It should be taken seriously. And so, um, you know, it was disappointing to basically see Rita Moreno. I understand, like, I think you're just fiercely critical uh, or fiercely protective of um, people in your community uh, that you care deeply about, but it was so cringy, so out of step with like what is real and valid about these criticisms. Um, And she did end up walking it back. Um, like last night she said, um, I'm incredibly disappointed with myself. <laughs> um, and then she said she was clearly dismissive of dark skinned Afro Latinos, um, and the importance of their, uh, yeah, she says, I was clearly dismissive of black lives matter that of black lives that matter in our Latin community. It's so easy to forget how celebration for some is lament for others. Um, in addition to applauding Lynn for his wonderful movie version of In the Heights, let me add my appreciation for his sensitivity and resolve to be more inclusive of Afro-Latino community, of the Afro-Latino community going forward. Um, and then she said, see, you can teach this old dog new tricks. <laughs> um, so, you know, she's also like pretty old and, you know, it's, it's, uh, I understand, but it was just, it was disappointing because I, as, as a fan of like Rita Moreno in the Heights, Lin-Manuel Miranda, West Side Story, like so many things. Um, I, this whole um, controversy I've just been watching um, and trying to learn from and feeling kind of, and so just seeing her sort of like pop off on, on the Colbert Report was like, oh, Rita, come on, man. Um, so anyway, this is OECU, but um, I'm glad that she has uh, at least acknowledged uh, within an apology. Yeah, definitely. I know when I was when I was seeing that, I was just like, oh, I was so so disappointed. But yeah, yeah, like you said, I'm glad she glad she apologized. But it's just like uh, like the fact she had to bring it up, you know, that she's like, I need to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God! But she it sounds like she gets it now. Um, but yeah. yikes! Yikes! <laughs> um. Okay. So a good thing. Um. One good thing that we uh, wanted to highlight is that the um, Associated Press, in a big um, journalistic departure from the norm, will no longer name suspects in brief stories about minor crimes in which there is little chance the AP will provide coverage beyond the initial arrest. Um, This is an effort to minimize harm on suspects who later gain employment um, or just want to move on with their lives. Um, So the AP had said... uh, the names of suspects are generally not newsworthy beyond their local communities. So we will not link from these stories to others that do name the person. And we will not move mugshots uh, uh, in these cases since the accused would be identifiable in that photo as well. Um, We will also stop publishing stories driven mainly by a particularly embarrassing mugshot, nor will we publish um, such mugshots solely because of the appearance of the accused. This also has sort of a fucked up baked in, like, you were doing that before? Right. Are you acknowledging that you were doing that? <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think that these things are, um, it's, it's, it's evidence of hopefully moving the needle on some baked in structural racist practices. Um, and, and, un- and just unfair. I mean, it's, it's not just, I think for anyone, if you had an embarrassing, like an embarrassing mugshot, knowing that like the AP was like, that's embarrassing. Let's make sure that's at the top. Yeah. I wasn't just like, oh, yeah, I guess that's embarrassing. It's like, yeah, that's embarrassing. Let's go with it. Let's run it. <laughs> um, you know, so as especially in, in a moment where I feel like it's really hard for us to um, agree on certain things to try to um, dismantle systemic racism, it feels like there are a lot of little practical things that can be done, like to chip away at this as we like try to work on the um, bigger ticket uh, items. Um, and so 
this is just kind of one of those. It's a journalistic decision by the Associated Press, and I hope other news outlets follow. Um, and of course, as is sometimes our our tradition with good things, it's a good thing with a little bit of a fucked up what the hell is going on there included. <laughs> it's an Eastern, yep. it's an egg, a Russian egg. What's the, what's, what are those dolls? Russian nesting dolls. Russian, Russian eggs. It's a, we're like... <laughs> They're nesting dolls. What were those eggs that are like really rare from Russia? Um, Russia. It has like a weird name, like a Fabergé. Fabergé. I was conflating Fabergé eggs with Russian nesting dolls. For now, I'm just going to call it Russian eggs. (laughs) (laughs) It's a classic Russian egg over here at FWM. All right. Well, um, have a great trip to Connecticut, Ren. Thank you. I will. And the Big Apple, too. And the Big Apple. And the Big Gonna Apple. have a hot yeah. Russian egg summer. <laughs> <laughs> have a hot, Habre- Habre- hot Fabergé um, trip. And uh, we will see you guys all next week. Catchy on the, although it'll be the week after next week in our timeline, but in the time that you hear this, it'll be next week. What is time? What is time? Well, Feminists Without Mystique is a part of the, (sighs) Feminists Without Mystique is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.com slash podcast.